0: Before this episode begins, it is important to put out a trigger warning as topics such as sexual and gender-based violence are discussed in this episode. As it is not my intention to trigger anyone, it's important to acknowledge this before listening any further. everyone this is Mary Griffin on not a 10 podcast um, I said it before in the introduction but I just wanted to put out another trigger warning that this episode is discussing a topic uh, sexual and gender-based violence so if that is triggering to you just know that before you go into listening. To the rest of the episode, but I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Molly Little. She is a lacrosse player at Denver, and she not only just plays lacrosse, like she dominates on the lacrosse field. Like she was Big East Defensive Player of the Year this season. She just got a U.S. tryout, so she's like the real deal. She's a hard worker, a great player, and an even better person off the field. Um, just in the little time I got to know her, but yeah, like Molly, I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm so excited to hear your story. And I just think it's so important to get this out there for anyone who may be interested or struggling with something similar that you've gone through. And I'm just really thankful that you're here to talk it to us today.
1: Yeah, I'm thankful to be here. Honestly, um, I feel like you don't even have to thank me. Like this is something that, um, you know, means more to me and, you know, people that are willing to, you know, take that message and, you know spread it as much as possible because there are so many people that need to hear something like this. So,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so if you guys don't know anything about Molly and her story, I heard of Molly little, um, before the whole lacrosse world, you know, it's small, it's, you have connections. So I heard about her. She's a great player, obviously. So, um, but I really started to know her story when a article titled, he's not the son you are was published And it went, um, published on the U S lacrosse website. And I remember reading it and just being in all of your like authenticity and just being so vulnerable with the topic of sexual assault. And I just reached out to you and just really wanted you to be on the podcast because of how well-written and well-spoken you were about the topic. Um, so I think the article, like basically, low key went viral. I know I talked about it with some of my friends and that a lot of people have heard your story and are just so like amazed that you were able to share that with such a big community. Um, so with that, I think just jumping in and just discussing what your journey looked like, I think we can just get right into it if that's okay with you. Um, so if you could just give us a little bit of background of the relationship, how old were you, what you're like, when did it happen in your life type of thing?
1: Yeah. So um, I have always been on the younger end of my grade because I'm a summer birthday. So I went into my freshman year of high school. I went to a boarding school um, and I was 14. Um, And about halfway through that year, I started dating um, this guy that was a junior, but he was a repeat. So he was 18 years old as a junior. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, And yeah, it was something that, I mean, I look back now and I'm like, that should never be happening. But when I was at my high school, um, it was called Tabor Academy. Um, that was like the norm. That was what, you know, freshmen and sophomore girls were striving to date upperclassmen. Um, it was normalized. It was accepted. It was honestly something that, you know, people wanted you to do. And and I'm not wanted in the sense that like, I don't know, like, they were telling you that that's what you're supposed to be doing, but it was quote unquote, like, cool. If you were dating an upperclassman. And so I started dating him. Um, yeah. As a freshman, he was a junior and we dated. Over the course of the next year and a half. But I mean, over the you know span of time, it was very on and off the entire time. It was never a stable thing.
0: <laughs> right. And like being 14, like, one that is just so young. Like I don't even remember being 14, but that most likely like, correct me if I'm wrong, was your first, uh, experience being in a relationship and experience of like having that, like relationship with another person. And, um, I just think that's really like a hard first relationship to get into, especially like he's 18, you're 14. There's a huge age gap. There's you guys are in two completely different situations in your life, but like you're 14, so you don't know any better. Like, you don't, you're mm-hmm. so innocent and young, and uh, older guys approaching you. Like, yeah, like I don't, I think any 14 year old would find interest in like an attention of an older guy, if that makes sense. Oh,
1: 100%. And it made you immediately seem like more popular or cooler, yeah. you know, like you didn't feel as much like this little baby freshman anymore. Like, you, right. Like, all of a sudden, like the older kids were like, knew who I was and would say hi to me and like, talk to me. And like, I got to sit with those people and, you know, it kind of opens the doors to a whole different experience than what you would typically go through and, you know, high school. And yeah, I mean, it was my first experience with, you know, like a real relationship. I thought I was in love. I didn't even know what love was. yeah I mean, like you're, like you said, like you're 14 years old. I <laughs> Like I had just come from middle school. Like I I came from a sheltered uh, from a basically very sheltered. Like I went to private middle school. Like I graduated middle school with like, I don't know, 30 people in my class. Like I was nowhere prepared. And I don't think any 14 year old is ever prepared for that yet. Yeah. Like that kind of experience, that kind of relationship. I mean, take the unhealthy factors out of it. Just like that intensive relationship at that age is just not a good idea
0: (laughs) like like you touch on this like the social aspect like freshman year if it's freshman year in high school freshman year of college like every single person is trying to find their place and like find their friends Mm -hmm. find their fit and like it is so overwhelming that you don't you just are like anywhere you can get like attention like you're gonna get it because it's I like to say it's like survival of the fittest like freshman year Mm like is hard like everyone's trying to find their place and like there are like mistakes that have been made and like I know I made a lot of mistakes going into like freshman year and just like trying to figure out my place and like who to hang out with and stuff so I mm-hmm. it's totally like understandable like yeah you didn't know any better like you're 14 like who yeah and who that's what and
1: that's better? what like culture promotes and yes. you know
0: you want people to
1: like you and if that's you know the route that is said that like can be taken you know that's what you do. And I mean, I didn't, like you said, I didn't know any better and no one does. And right. um, it's just a very toxic culture that doesn't promote the safety of children.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> like 14 to 18. I, I coach 14 year olds. And I like, after hearing your article, I remember I told them, cause they're going to high school next year. I was like, I was like, guys, if like a senior guy or whoever like approaches you, like, Oh, I'm like, and he or she like, see interested, like, d- like be like careful, like just like they're 18, like you're 14, like, like mm-hmm. find yourself, find your place. Like it's going to happen. Cause there that is, there is that like aspect of unfortunately like seniors to a freshman, like there is that like vibe going on. So I just mm-hmm. was like, I, everyone just be careful, like be aware, like this is happening, like, and it happens. Um, yeah. so you said that you guys dated on and off. So you are a freshman and you were in this new relationship. And in your article, you said the, especially like the whole time, the relationship was built on ultimatums. So what did the relationship look like in that first year? Like what, what did he so, What did you say? Stuff like that. Um,
1: The first, like probably month, month and a half, like is I mean, what you would typically see, like, it's a very honeymoon stage, like, everything seemed perfect, everything was great, like, he treated me very well, Um, and from what I can remember, I mean, there's, I'm sure there were definitely not amazing points during that, those first, like, few weeks, but, I mean, from what I can remember, like, that was the best part of the relationship, and then we get, you know, a couple months down the road, And I mean, I'm a virgin, like I'm 14 years old. I've, you know, never like, it was basically the first time I was doing anything intimate with a boy. And um, so I'm already like, experiencing new things in general, but we had got to the point where we had done everything except have sex. And he was like, to a point where he was like, if you don't have sex with me soon, then we're not going to be a relationship anymore. Then I'm not going to you know, wait around for you. I'm not going to do that. Like blah, 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 And basically, I mean, that was the ulti- the first ultimatum right there off the bat that if I didn't have sex with him, then I wasn't good enough. And he was going to go find someone else that would give him that. Yeah. Um, and so I was sitting there having to make a choice of, you know, do I lose my first boyfriend because I can't do that or like, I won't do this. Or do I, you know, say we're going to go for it and, you know, lose my virginity at 14 years old, which, yeah. you know, looking back on it, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20, I should have made a better decision. But like I said, you do crazy things when you think you're in love with a person. Mm-hmm. So um right off the bat, the relationship wasn't built on a healthy platform at all whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And like ultimatums, like, I think you're in such a tough position where you think that you're in the wrong. like. And you yep. don't know any better. Like, like we said before, like, this is your first relationship. So who you didn't even know if that was normal, like maybe that was happening to your friends, like, or who you didn't know, cause you didn't know any better. And mm-hmm. like, you didn't know anything different from this relationship. So like, yeah. you were just like, okay, like this must be normal. Like I'm expected to have sex. Like I'm expected to do these types of things. Yeah. And hundred percent. Yeah. And like you said that you're like, I should have known better, but like at the same time, like you couldn't have and no. Yeah. Like at all. And, uh, that's just such a tough position. And like, I'm so sorry, like yeah, that pressure on you, but yeah. Cause
1: cause I mean, in that situation, like you feel like it's normal. Like when he Mm -hmm. says something like, Oh, like you should be having sex with me. I'm like, well, I don't know any better. Like you must be like,
0: yeah,
1: I just like, I, not that I didn't have a choice, but like, I was in that position. So innocent. So you know, unaware of everything and, you know, what was going on and mm-hmm. what was healthy and what wasn't. And so when he said something to me, I was like, oh, okay, that should.
0: Duh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Like it's the should versus shouldn't like that should mentality. Like those, that is such a sticky situation. Cause I feel like it's your head telling you one thing and your heart telling you another, and you don't know which one to pick. And you don't, you just don't know, like it's, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. But like, yeah. really there isn't a right and a like, there well, yeah, is wrong, And but even there in that
1: situation for me, like, I honestly don't even remember a point at that point in the relationship with that first ultimatum being like, oh, this is wrong. Like, when you yeah. just said it, I yeah. was like, oh, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no second and- guessing. Like, who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have known? Exactly. Um, so he gives you this ultimatum. You're still a freshman. What happened after that year? Were you guys still together? Is this one you started? having like breaking up, getting back together this cycle or what happened after that?
1: So through my entire freshman year, so like from when we started dating in like January to the end of the school year in May, everything was, I mean, other than him, you know, pressuring me to have sex for the first time, everything was, you know, fine, normal, whatever. We got to the end of the school year and he, I still don't know the true story to this day because he is a pathological liar, Mm -hmm. but he was asked not to come back
0: to our okay. high school. Okay.
1: And I was like, oh, okay. No red flags. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, just
0: like, okay, he's not coming back. I was
1: like, all right. <laughs> um, and so he ended up, he's from Connecticut. So he ended up going back to a school like by where he lived at home. And we, I mean, had the conversation. We were like, okay, like we're gonna stay together, blah, blah, whatever. Like, so I would really only see him on like the weekends like maybe every other weekend like I was playing sports um so was he and I mean it's a two and a half hour drive from like where he lives to like come up to see me and I couldn't drive at that point so it it was difficult but so we went through that summer like we spent a lot of time together in the summer like he would come on vacation with my family like I would go on vacation with his like all that stuff and then it started getting rocky when I started, when we started school back in the fall, he, okay. I thought he was just being like that protective boyfriend over me, but like, it was no way healthy whatsoever. Like it was protective to a very scary degree. Mm-hmm. Um, like being like, yeah, my friends are, are keeping tabs on you at school. Cause I can't be there. Um, and just like, I had to be careful, even though he wasn't there, I had to be careful of who I was talking to, who I was having a conversation with, who I was friends with, because his old friends would tell him every single thing that I did. And of course, it was always twisted to make me look bad or, you know, it was always my fault. It was never his. Um, And so it definitely started to get unhealthy at that point. And it just kept getting worse and worse. It felt like a snowball rolling down a hill that like I just couldn't stop. Um, and by the spring of my sophomore year, it was very bad. And that's when we were breaking up and getting back together, Pro- like more than I can, more times than I can even count. Like every other week I was yeah. my entire spring of my sophomore year in high school. Like I was crying myself to sleep more than I wasn't right. because we would just be fighting. It would always be my fault, no matter what, like he would go out to a party at home and tell me that he was going to go and hook up with other girls because like I was such a shitty girlfriend and like that was my oh my god that was yeah. like my punishment it was like yeah. that's your
0: that's your problem <laughs> that's your fault like yeah like this is what you're I, making me that. do yeah Ugh, I'm that's horrible and like yeah. this relationship already had its red flags and now you're dealing with Distance, which even in a healthy relationship, distance is really hard. Yeah. So you're dealing with an unhealthy relationship that's also distance and all these other emotions and all these other people. So,
1: well, yeah, and you're just going through. I mean, like, picture all the things you go through in high school, just like without that stuff. Like, yeah, you're you're trying to figure out who you are. You're, you know, navigating like, especially as an athlete, you're starting to navigate the recruiting process. Like, oh my gosh, all of this stuff. Plus, you know all this stuff that I was dealing with yeah. at, at home at night,
0: and you know, yeah, it's yeah. just a very bad, yeah. unhealthy high combination. School, high school's hard in general, like, yeah, <laughs> oh, I can't even with that. But I, I just can't even imagine like what you were going through. So you, obviously, things started spiraling downhill. He went on your family vacations. He obviously was closer with your family. You guys have been dating for a while, so what did your friends and family, did they know? Did they not know? Did they pick up on things? Like what was their perspective of the relationship? I think my friends and family,
1: like people with an outside perspective could see it better than I could. Like I, since going through this relationship and now, like I've really realized that people that are in unhealthy relationships, like you can be told by however many people outside of it, that you're in something that's not good and not healthy for you. But like, I was almost like blind to it. Mm-hmm. And I was being told by, you know, my parents, my best friends that this is something that was not good for me by the end of the spring, my sophomore year, my mom was like, you're not seeing him anymore. She was right. like, I, there's nothing else I can do besides say that you're absolutely cut off from seeing him because she heard me in my room, crying myself to sleep. I, you know, talked to her about it to some extent. Um, And she was like, yeah, I'm not letting you go through this anymore. And it was so bad that like, I almost lost my best friend to him. Yeah, Um, Like my best friend at home all through middle school and high school. She told me over and over again, how bad it was. And I just didn't believe her didn't do anything about it. Couldn't see it. I was just so wrapped around his finger and so manipulated by everything he said and did in the relationship that I was just blind.
0: Right. And I think in like a lot of situations like, in unhealthy relationships and like, even like mental health and stuff like that. Like a lot of people can hold your hand and help you and guide you mm-hmm. and give you advice, but it's up. It's until that person that's actually experiencing it and going through it, sees it themselves and also wants to get better and wants to get exactly. out of the situation that they're in. That's when the change is actually going to happen.
1: Yeah. It's like, like the saying, like you can't help those who, who won't help themselves. Yes. And I wasn't at a point where I even thought I needed help. Right. So I just, it was like completely close-minded to the entire thing of what anyone else said. I was just like blind faith in the relationship.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. And so you touched upon this in the article, like when your friends and your family and your mom were telling you these things about him and telling you that the relationship was unhealthy. You, how did you react? You said that you almost lost your best friend, but you said you, it pushed you further from them and closer to him. So yeah. what, do you, what do you have to say about that type of situation? I
1: think that that happened because they were you know, telling me all this, this bad stuff and I didn't believe it for myself that I was like, well, that's absolutely not true. And it made me mad at them. And it just mm. made me, you know, because he was the closest person to me at that point in my life. So I would just run directly to him, say what they were saying to me. And he'd be like, Well, why would you ever think that about me? Like, you know, and he was just, you know, deny, deny, deny. And, right. you know, he was great at words and great at manipulation and just like basically taking those words and twisting them around to make himself look better. And um, like if my parents were like, He's way too overprotective of you, that's unhealthy. And he'd be like, and I'd go to him and say that he'd say, well, of course I'm protective of you. Like, I don't want to lose you like Mm -hmm. blah, 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 and make it sound like a good thing. Yeah. Like, And I think, "Mm -hmm." and I think that's really what made it made me run from the people that were trying to protect me and just, you know, be closer to him at that point, because he was the person I'd then go to once they'd say those negative things. And
0: it just made me angry at that point that's that's just like a hard cycle to be in like
1: Mm -hmm. you're
0: being told one thing and then you try to address it you try to work on it and then you're it's totally flipped around and it's flipped by a person who's manipulating you and twisting words and twisting a situation to make themselves look better and Mm -hmm. I think like that is just a horrible cycle to get like wrapped up into and that's just like not fair to you at all
1: no and it's just more of the same like unhealthy patterns right Yeah. Just like, I am so bad with saying that I'm sorry. Like even to this day, like I say, I'm sorry more than anything else that I (sighs) say ever.
0: You're the one that's like, I'm so sorry. Like, Oh, sorry. I apologize again. Like, yeah.
1: Yes. And that's because of him. Like he, Mm -hmm. those patterns, those unhealthy patterns, I was, Oh, it was always my fault. I always had to say sorry, even if we were arguing about uh, like something not even related to us. Like it was so just I don't even know the words for it but like like I said before he would go and tell me that he was hooking up with another girl because it was my fault and then I ended up somehow at the end of the argument like saying I'm sorry like oh
0: my, it doesn't like, even make what sense. sense what is the it makes term no sense. your um gaslighted gaslighting yes, like to exactly. the max like, like to the extreme
1: it, and that doesn't even make sense in what world would I be apologizing for that but He's somehow hook that's up with other people Oh and God. but somehow that's the cycle that I was wrapped up into. Yeah. It,
0: yeah. Oh, that is horrible. Like actually horrible. And like, uh, I just can't even imagine like, you're so young and naive that you think like, this is all on you. Like, and mm-hmm. he's, walks on water. Like, no, like, yes, exactly.
1: I thought he walked
0: on water and
1: I thought everything he did and said was right. And you know, above everything else. And so why would I like, he got, me to a point where why would I ever question
0: him right and
1: so then he could do and say whatever the hell he wanted
0: (laughs) wow that it's crazy how some people's like minds work honestly like so manipulative um so you guys are at this point sophomore year you guys still haven't had sex yet and that ultimatum was probably still on stake so do you want to get into the whole like situation of when you where he was convinced you to sneak out and there was one where you did sneak out with him. Yeah. So
1: I probably like gave into this ultimatum, like the beginning of the spring. So fast forward to kind of the end of the spring school's ending, like just about to go into summer. And my mom had told me I wasn't allowed to see him. So the only way I could do that was sneak out and see him. And I did that a lot of times, probably a handful. Um, and one of those times I snuck out and, um, he had driven up from his house in Connecticut and, um, I go and I go to open the passenger seat door and there's someone in there. I was like, that's weird. So one of his friends from home that like, I didn't know, mm-hmm. like he didn't go to school with us when we were at Tabor. Um, I'd never met him before, um, was in the car and I was like, this is just bizarre, yeah. but I didn't, again, I didn't question him because yeah, why weird would I feel yeah. Um, and so I got in the car driving around, just like not really doing much. Um, and so we pull over into this parking lot and his friend gets out of the car without saying anything. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and so I'm sitting in the backseat and he gets in the back he parks the car, get in the backseat with me. He's talking to me, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's just like, there's no conversation. There's no, Hey, do you want to like be intimate? It's just like, this is, I'm his, I'm his possession and he can do whatever he wants. And I really did a pretty good job of blacking out everything that happened in that moment, because, you know, when you're being assaulted, when you're being raped by someone, it's just like, it's so traumatizing that I just, the only thing that I could do and the safest thing that I knew I could do was just close my eyes and, you know, hold back my tears as much as I could and wait for it to be over because right. I'm this you know 14 year old girl I'm not gonna overpower him he's you know and God knows what's gonna happen if I fight back if I try and stop it and he has another friend with him another guy's mm. sitting right there yeah. with him like God knows what could have happened if I tried to escalate the situation and um, at the end of the day I I still stick by doing that um, I wish I could have, you know, done something to protect myself. But at that stage in my life, at, you know, I was a 120 pound girl.
0: Right. And he like was physically you know, two men, yeah.
1: one, girl, one 15 yeah. year old girl. Like, yeah, it just, it, it I knew that wasn't a safe choice for me. And so, yeah, I sat there and I waited it to be over. And I mean, at that point already, I was just like, I was numb. Like I was having this out of body experience. I couldn't even speak.
0: Yeah. It's a defense mechanism to shut down completely. Yes,
1: exactly. And when it was over, he like his friend got back in the car, he got back in the front seat. They drove me home and I was dropped off and like nothing happened.
0: Yeah. And
1: I was forced to, you know, walk up, sneak back into my house forever affected forever changed and they drove off like nothing ever happened
0: like the littlest impact on them but the biggest impact on you exactly oh that i'm so sorry like that is just horrible and like it's such a tough situation because like Nowadays, like you're taught, like stand up for yourself, like do all this stuff. But you actually like couldn't, it it was a bad situation and it could have been even worse, like physically, mentally. And
1: I totally believe that there are situations when they're dangerous, when you could be assaulted, anything like that, that you can stand up for yourself and you can, you know, do something about it. Totally believe that. But Mm -hmm. in what I would assume are most situations, you probably can't.
0: Yeah, there's so much you can do.
1: Yeah. And I am all for, you know, women standing up for themselves and all of that because I think it's so important. And women get walked over in situations not even remotely related to, you know, like mine. We Mm -hmm. just get walked over in society like it's normal. But for so many women that are raped and are sexually assaulted, it's more dangerous to do something in the moment than it
0: is to just, you know, shut down right and that's and the sad part <laughs> it's the sad reality of like like you're already being violated your body's already being all that stuff but it could have been worse like who who knows what they would have done like oh i'm so sorry and like that is just so hard and like i can't even imagine like going home and just you had to sneak back in like you didn't even talk to anyone you just climbed back upstairs like whatever went to bed yeah, yeah. and i
1: and i laid there and just like couldn't even sleep just like their eyes open in the dark like what uh, there like, was what no shock like, yeah just shock. complete shock and going back to what we were talking about just a second ago I think so many people nowadays are like oh well like you know fight back stand up for yourself like make like your perpetrator stop how about we make men stop raping women Amen. and not and not that it's all men because it's not yeah. and yeah uh, not by any means, but the overwhelming majority of the time it is. And people are like, oh, well, women stick up for yourselves, but that that's
0: doesn't alleviate yeah. the problem. Like it's, we aren't the issue. It's the rapists that are the issue. Like, exactly. Like, it's not like, let's start with the root of the issue, not with the reaction yeah. to an issue.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: I totally agree. And I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, so after that happened, you're kind of shocked in shock. You're, you are in shock, not kinda you are shocked. So you're almost too numb to process what happened. So what did the following like days, weeks, months look like for you?
1: Um, a lot of it was kind of blurry. I, that's mm-hmm. kind of a weird term to use, but, um, I didn't really think about it much in the following days to weeks, which seems weird, but I just, I was so numb. I was so confused. I was so, because in the days following that he just acted normal. And I was like, well, so that was a confusing like message for me because I knew that I wasn't feeling okay, but he was trying to make it seem like it was. Um, and so I just kept going through this state of like confusion and numbness because I knew something was wrong. Like I, I was at a point where I knew it was wrong, but I didn't really know how to think about it, how to talk about it, describe it, um, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we actually didn't even break up after that point. We were on and off, on and off for the next like two months. And I ended up breaking up with him at like the end of July during that summer. Um, And the funny thing is I broke up with him and I had to beg and plead for my mom to let me see him. It was on my birthday. It was on my 16th birthday. Oh my gosh. Um, and I begged and begged for weeks. And she finally let him like come take me out to dinner on my birthday. And we went out to dinner. And it was one of the times towards the end of the relationship where I can definitively say he was actually genuinely nice to me. And I don't know why. Because I, I, usually he wasn't mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And, um, I just remember coming home fr- and being dropped off and being like, and then the light bulb went on and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. And I guess it took him being nice to me and not fighting with me and not putting me down for one evening for me to be like, wait, that's how I should be treated all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I called him and he was driving home at that point. I called him. I said, I don't want to ever speak to you ever again. Um, like, this is it for me. Like we've been on breaks and we've broken up before, but I'm seriously done. Like, don't, don't talk to me ever again. And I hung up the phone and I blocked him on everything because I knew if I didn't, I knew I would get back together with him, talk to him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that happened. And I kind of went back to the school in the fall, just like, I'm sure everyone was kind of like, Oh, you know what happened like mm-hmm. Molly uh was with him like Molly had a boyfriend and now all of a sudden he's gone like there was no explanation yeah. like I just went back and acted like nothing ever happened because I wasn't ready to talk about it mm-hmm. and I just kind of put on a brave face put on a smile and pretended like I was okay and um realistically that wasn't the healthy thing to do um yeah. because I basically just had attempted to convince myself that nothing had ever, ever happened because that's what I wanted everyone else to think. Um, and I just didn't deal with it. I just kind of existed, was numb, didn't really have a care in the world. Like I committed to play lacrosse in college that summer too. And frankly, I was just like,
0: whatever. Yeah. Like it was just another part of your life. Like exactly yeah like I was just
1: still so traumatized that like nothing really even seemed to affect me anymore like good or bad
0: and like you would think like someone hearing about what like before they even knew all this if they like knew you were in an unhealthy relationship they're like okay like she broke up with him like everything's good like we're all good but that was like the first step for you was like calling that relationship off and like recognizing that you were in a a situation that wasn't healthy and like, wasn't safe, but mm-hmm. there's so many steps after that. And that's mm-hmm. honestly, like sometimes the hardest part is like processing, like what's going oh, 100%, on, like, like, like facing those emotions.
1: Yeah. Like at the end of the day, me breaking up with him and ending it. Yes. It was very difficult, but that was the easiest part of yeah. what was then to come for me finding myself again. You know, he had pulled me away from so many people, so many friendships. Like I had to rebuild that. I had to, figure out who I was without him because my entire high school career, it was Molly and someone else. It wasn't just Mm -hmm.
0: me. Yeah. It revolved around him and you guys. exactly. Um, So what did that healing process look like? How long was it? You said that at first you put on like a brave face and you acted like everything was okay. Did you slowly start uh, like allowing people to get into your inner thoughts and your emotions and speak about, your experience or what did that whole process look like? Um, honestly, no, I didn't let anyone in. I (laughs) kind of, no, that's so, okay.
1: yeah. And I thought I could do it all by myself. And, um, I didn't even really begin processing it until after high school. I think I didn't talk about it. Didn't acknowledge It didn't, I just moved on. Like nothing ever happened in the rest of my high school career. It was just gone. Like Mm -hmm. I put it in this tiny little box in the back of my head and didn't address it, which again, wasn't the healthy thing to do, but that's what I did because I didn't know any better. Um, and I didn't start dealing with it until college. I went to college my freshman year and we had, I'm sure you're aware of it, like the NCAA, um, like mandatory sexual assault, you know, training protocol, information session, whatever. And, I went to that and I sat through it my freshman year and I walked out of the room bawling. And I was so triggered that like, I tried to go to practice the next day and I had like basically a full blown like panic attack, anxiety attack during practice. And I had to walk out of practice the next day. And I was like, okay, this is definitely something like, Mm -hmm. there's definitely still something here. And I, I can't just ignore this. Like clearly, there's stuff I have to deal with. Um, and so I kind of like started allowing myself to, you know, think about it again and like, kind of do it by myself individually. And I, it wasn't until my sophomore year, then when I started like talking to a professional, um, somewhat opening up about it. Um, I really, like, I didn't tell my mom until, my sophomore, the, after my sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never even really had a conversation with my dad about it. Um, until my article came out. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. So
1: yeah. So my article came out, I didn't tell my parents I was writing it. I just kind of went for it and didn't really, um, like give them a heads up. Mm -hmm. And my article came out and my dad saw it. And he sent me this. Lo- He's not a texting person. He's yeah. an emailing person. <laughs> dads, and yeah. He sent- yes, dads. And he sent me this giant, lengthy email. And I have never felt like so connected to him oh, ever. Like that warms my heart. And it like it warmed my heart, and it like broke my heart all in yeah. once. Because like because I could truly like feel how emotional he was, and. I felt so bad that I hadn't addressed it with him and I hadn't had a conversation with him, but I just didn't know how to,
0: Yeah, like
1: with my mom, it, I didn't even plan to have the conversation with her. It just kind of came out in a discussion we were already having about something else. And it just kind of, it was an emotional conversation and it just like came spilling out. Mm-hmm. Um, But with him, I just didn't know. How like I'm an only child, I've always been like a daddy's girl, and I just did not know how to do that. I didn't want him to think of me differently I didn't want him I didn't want him to want to go kill this person yeah like i didn't I didn't know what he was gonna react to me saying that, so i, I just kind of left it alone and ultimately i'm I'm way happier than he knows now, but um, yeah, it was yeah. a very surreal experience, but um yeah, that was a long winded answer to that question. No, I,
0: I, I could listen to you talk like all day. Like you, <laughs> you're so well-spoken. You, like you, like, I just love it. Everything that you stand yeah. for and just like everything I, that you're saying.
1: Yeah. I didn't truly start dealing with it until I was probably a sophomore in college okay. it
0: was all right. four and years th- later. <laughs> yeah. And I think like something that needs to be talked about a lot, like trauma, like for any type of trauma, like everyone talks about processing trauma, but no one actually talks about like what that looks like and how much like processing sucks. Like it sucks. Oh yeah. It's the worst. Like I didn't know how horrible it was to process things until I had to like process it myself. And I was like, I was like, Whoa, like the process of processing. I know that sounds crazy. Sucks. (laughs) It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's just like, where do you start? Like mm -hmm. there's no like guide. There's no handbook. Everyone's different. Everyone deals with their experience Mm -hmm. experiences differently. Like the first time I went in and sat with the therapist, um, I went and sat in that room, and they asked me how I was. That was the first question: "How are you?" And I started sobbing. Yeah that that
0: question. Yeah, that question gets you.
1: And then I just sat there in the room. I couldn't even like speak or have a conversation because I was bawling my eyes out. And my first probably. Four or five therapy sessions. That's all I did.
0: Mm-hmm. Didn't even
1: talk. It was just a, how are you? And then there was just, you know, not English coming
0: out of my yeah, mouth. Well, like, also the lump just, in your like, throat, like try to catch a yes. breath. Like, oh. Yeah.
1: And because I hadn't addressed it for so long that when it, like, when I initially started trying to, it was just this huge, giant thing just like weighing on my shoulders and on my chest. And I was like, where do I even begin?
0: Yeah. And, and like, there is no timeline to processing. I think that's so like important. There's no timeline to like recovery and like really just being aware of like what's happening. And like, I think a lot of people and like, you like touched on this because everything was so built up that when it was finally time to do that whole, like, let's, let's work on it. Let's talk about it. It was like zero to 100
1: 100%. and it's
0: so hard. Like, that's just so, like- so difficult.
1: Mm -hmm. And it all just came flushing back and like, they're asking you to talk about it. And so you're reliving the whole thing. Yeah. And which it makes talking about it even harder because I'm sitting there like completely triggered by the entire thing, you know, and it's just, yeah, Yeah. there's like no real way to describe that feeling unless you're going through something, whatever it is that you're going through. It doesn't even have to be assault. Like, there's, you can't really understand it unless you live through it. And I think that's really something that I didn't get until after I had, and not even after, because I'm still dealing with stuff. Like I still, I still, I had to drive down to Maryland. I told you before we started our interview, I had to drive down to Maryland yesterday. Um, I'm here right now and, uh, you have to drive through Connecticut Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I passed that exit and I'm sitting there fist clenched like can't speak I'm like and it's just driving by an exit sign yeah
0: like your but triggers it's still- are your triggers like a hundred percent and yeah it's, it's something that has impacted you like and it it will be like a part of you like in a negative sense and a positive sense like in terms of what you've learned and how you've overcome it but also like you don't just get over things like that like no. you just you just don't and like
1: no and it can be little things like I see the car he drove when we dated, I see it drive down the street and I'm like, "Mm," like, it makes me cringe.
0: Yeah. It makes
1: me uncomfortable. And it's just like, or I hear a song on the radio, like it's for, for everyone, it's a different, different things, but at least for me, like there are a bunch of little things like that, that would seem, you know, meaningless, but, um, like you drive by and you see the name of the town and you're like, if I got off at that exit right now, I could tell you how many rights and how many lefts it would take to get to his house.
0: And that's like the scary stuff that like sticks with you. Yeah. And like, I think that stuff isn't really talked about enough that like just like small instances, like can just fill you up with so much emotion. So if that does happen, like you said, you were driving past the exit and like stuff like that. Do you, you've been in therapy or do you do anything like in that moment that kind of can reset you and put you in the right mindset and like take away from the past?
1: Um, I'm not a master of it by any means, but um, for me, like in the sense of yesterday um, or in the case of yesterday, I was sitting there and I started like having a lot of anxiety and like knowing that the exit was coming and knowing that like I was in an area that I spent a lot of time in and had like a a lot of hard, tough emotions in. And, um, I just kept trying to tell myself that like, it's only temporary, like we're going to drive by and I'm going to be safe and nothing's going to happen to me. And then I don't have to see it again. And I think the biggest things is like, I try and like, do like positive, like self-talk and stuff like in my head, like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be safe. It's only temporary. Um, But for me, like, I really try and like, I let myself have those emotions and instead of trying to push them away, because you know what, like it does scare me and it does give me anxiety. Like he, like, he will always scare me being in that area where we were like, where we spent so much time will always scare me. Um, and I don't think those things ever go away and, um, anything traumatizing that happens to anyone. Like, I don't think it truly ever is fine again. Um, and that's okay. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's that all of that stuff made me a stronger person. It made me the, it helped shape me into the person that I am today. Um, and I allow those emotions to come in, but I do just, I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be okay. You know, it's only temporary. Um, he can't hurt me anymore. That's a big one that I say Mm -hmm. to myself is that like, he can't hurt me. He can't touch me anymore. Like that's one of my big things for myself yeah. that I
0: do. No, that is awesome. Like that, I love those mechanisms. And I love, like you said it, like you let yourself feel those emotions because I think like in your past situation, like not feeling those emotions all the way, like led to like a down yes. a downward spiral. And like, I can relate to that as well. And I just think like allowing those emotions, welcoming them and then doing, taking action and doing something about it. Exactly. Like awesome.
1: Because I pushed so many emotions
0: away for so long, I've
1: like now come to the realization that like, that doesn't make anything better. And when you don't talk about things and you keep pushing them away and no matter what it is, it's never going to make the situation better. It's never going to keep you in a healthy position. So letting yourself know what's going on and like listening to your body. Like, I think that's so, so important no matter if it's a negative or a positive emotion.
0: Yes. You are totally speaking my language right now. Like, <laughs> I love, I like want to clip that segment. I just love everything you just said. Um, So I want to talk about today more so like you, I know you are a huge advocate for sexual assault awareness and things like that. So how are you like taking action? I know you're, you had the article. So like, even just sharing your story is, I think one of the best actions people can put out there for people who may be going through something similar, but, um, are there any other things that you're doing? I know you talked about, um, doing like the title nine, like talking to title nine about getting programs in to educate people. Um, there's, a, this is a loaded question. Um, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I talked about before how I sat through a title IX sexual assaults and gender based violence, like training thing my freshman year and it was super triggering for me but realistically like I don't really remember much of it and then my sophomore year I came in and I sat through another one like you have it usually like the first week of school and it was super triggering for me again it was you know someone standing up on a stage talking to the entire athletic community and it was just nowhere what I think it should look like and what should be addressed and talked about in the setting and all of the above context. Mm -hmm. And when I was a sophomore, I didn't really think anything of it to like take action because I was still just like processing all that stuff. But so when I truly started to, you know, understand what I had been through and get more comfortable talking about it. And I was able to sit like, I'm sitting here with you and, and not cry every time I think or talk about it. I was like, okay, there's something that I can do to make this such a negative experience and turn it into, you know, trying to help other people. And so I went in and I, um, my senior year, my true senior year, not my fifth year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I sat through that same, you know, bland, boring, not personal, not helping anyone speech about sexual and gender-based violence. And I was like, this is terrible. This is awful. Um and oh no, that was my junior year. I apologize. It's
0: okay. Time that ones get all wacky. That like- <laughs> was my junior year.
1: So I, but I came in my senior year and we didn't have it.
0: We didn't oh, have wow. that.
1: We didn't have it right at the beginning of the school year, like during orientation week, like we normally do. I'm pretty sure most schools have it then too. And. I was like, that's just weird because, and not that I like was looking forward to it because it's, it was nowhere near good. Yeah. It's not um,
0: enjoyable. No, n-
1: no, not at all. And everyone dreads it. And everyone thinks it's dumb mm-hmm. and we didn't have it. And I was like, that's just not okay. And yeah. I like contacted, I had never even met, seen the face of our title nine coordinator person ever. And like, I go to a very small school, like I probably should have met him. We probably should have been introduced to him. Like we have all those compliance meetings as athletes, like little concerning that I had never, you know, seen this person ever.
0: Right.
1: Um. And I go in and I make a meeting with him and I'm like, Hey, like, I have some concerns. Why didn't we have this? Also, I have some concerns about like the content of the whole thing in general. And to make a long story short, like he seemed really receptive to me. he, seemed to take down all my ideas and want to incorporate more of what I thought and what I had to say into this education program. And all seemed well and good. I go home for winter break and he promised me and I helped him create this like new PowerPoint that that was going to be used. And, um, he told me that I could attend and be at all of the, um, like trainings for individual teams. Cause that was another suggestion I had, like making it team by team basis instead of this large giant thing. And I go home for winter break and I basically get ghosted by this man and oh I'm emailing him. I'm like, Hey, like, blah, blah, like haven't heard from you. What's the deal. Like, what's the schedule for when we come back, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And I hear nothing. Oh my. And We get back from winter break and, like, the beginning of February, we get this like email from our coach, and it's like, Sorry for the last minute um, information, but we're having our NCAA Title IX sexual assault thing tomorrow. And once again, it's the entire student body. It is some person that I've never seen before, not our Title IX coordinator, standing up with a PowerPoint that I helped create. It wasn't the entire thing but it was bits and pieces of what I helped make got no credit for it whatsoever um and just sitting there and it's just it was the same old thing over and over again and it was a slap in the
0: face to me that that just gave me like a headache like I'm not even kidding like that is so horrible like yeah oh and I was like I
1: went out of my way I spent time like I spent my own personal time that I could be using to, you know, study and do school stuff or, you know, anything else and went out of my way to do this and be involved in this. And then I just basically get thrown to the side, like nothing had ever happened. And it was insulting. Yeah. That is <laughs> and, so like
0: a slap yeah. in the face. Like, and mm-hmm. I think like one thing that what you just said, like was so like eye opening was like, okay, yeah, we need to have these trainings but it's not even just about having them. What's the content? Like, what's the context? Like what? Yeah. Like, like because going I think up we, there and saying yeah. that
1: consent is important and defining what consent means means it's, it goes in yeah. one ear and out the other for 99.9% of people. Yeah.
0: Like half of and, people are just twiddling their thumbs. Like, Oh my
1: God. So I sat in the, I sat in the meeting that we had that February of my senior year And I said, our team was sitting in front of our men's soccer team. And I heard countless times, like them laughing
0: at the presentation. That is
1: like, I'm sitting there in front of them and I like hear people laughing and I want to whip my head around and like punch someone in the face so badly. It's
0: uh... (laughs) that just pisses me off. And I was like, yeah, that pisses me off. Like it's, and I think like, I don't, I don't like, it's so sad. Like I can't even remember what our training was like. Um, because we were required to do like one like other training, it might be in like the alcohol one, but I don't know. Maybe it was for um, sexual assault and things like that. But there was like it was like a program that you could just like click through. Like, oh and, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like and like everyone just is like, okay, like how long did it? Like we would text our group chat, be, like, how long did it take you? And be like, uh, it took us like an hour. And be like, okay, I'm gonna do it during like study hall or something. And you just click yeah, through, exactly. Like, you don't have because, to like, do anything
1: because frankly, it just doesn't even help anyone. Yeah. So like, why would you pay attention to it? Like they, and they sit up there and they talk about, and they connect it to alcohol and they're like, you have to, you know, like watch what you're drinking oh and stuff God. like that. I'm like, I shouldn't have to watch what I'm drinking. Like people yeah. should just like be a good person. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Like <laughs> the alcohol is not the issue. Like for and it's real. it's just,
1: uh, yeah, it's just mind blowing that it is 2021 and this is so outdated. So just, yeah, there's so many things wrong with it on so many levels and it's beyond frustrating. And this year I finally got like during my fifth year, I finally got through a little bit to the university, but I think Mm -hmm. part of it came from the fact that my article came out and the, one of the administrators at my school reached out to my coach and said, what the hell? why didn't you tell us this was coming out why didn't you warn us blah 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 and my coach was like um first of all i didn't even know when it, when and that it was coming out yeah. because it's none of my business it's not my story to tell and <laughs>
0: like, like why you don't you, owe, you don't owe it to anyone like you don't no. owe shit to and, anyone and they were and
1: they were mad at me and they were mad at my coach because it made them look bad and i was oh, like well maybe God. you should fix some things instead of being pissed off at me for telling the truth and, yeah. and so I think, so after that, like I immediately got emails from like our new title nine person and set up and she said, wanted to set up in a meeting right away, blah, blah, blah. Like basically I'm sure it was just mostly to cover their asses. Like not that, they, for yeah, and not that they actually genuinely cared. I'm sure as part of them did, but most of it was just, you know, making up for the bad terribleness yeah. that was the year before. And I find out that this person had just like up in like the old title nine coordinator that I was working with that ghosted me just like up and left and went to a different school. So that's like what mm-hmm. happened with that. But either way it should have been dealt with way better. Yeah. Um, but this new person's like, yeah, we want, we want you like, we want your input. We would love for you to, you know, do all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I want to sit in on every single title nine, um, Tra- or sexual assault training for every team because we were doing it from Zoom because COVID.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was like I want to sit on on every single one
0: and I want to be able to talk on every single one. Wow. And, and that's like a tough position to be in like if you're willing to do that like willing to share what you know and like you're not Because I like-
1: know and like and it's it was a lot of work for me and it was mm-hmm. a lot of extra work that I didn't need to do but I knew that if I wasn't on them and if I didn't say something
0: then people then they would just be getting information that was useless. Yeah. Like the basic stuff. And that just shows like how passionate you are and like how passionate, like people should be like, yeah. Like, do, I be sit on, do
1: I want to sit on a zoom and talk to our men's lacrosse team and,
0: you know, have that conversation with them. Absolutely not. That it's is okay. so frustrating. And like, I, I mean, I think your passion and like, willingness and like want to be a part of that I think is just so incredible Mm -hmm. and like so rare to see in such like a young person and and, like you had to be vulnerable and like that's the hardest part is being vulnerable and being authentic and I'm sure like you doing that like it got to someone than just a basic like slideshow like
1: well yeah um, and I think yeah the biggest thing for me was that like it's not like this is fun for me like sitting here and and talking about something that was very traumatic for my life isn't fun but I do it because I know that I could potentially help people and I could I could help the little girl that was my age that's going through the same thing and I think what I wish so badly that I had had when I was going through it and when it had happened to me at the age of 15 I had someone to look up to and be like, okay, you know what? It's going to be okay. And yeah. there are people talking about it and it's not this thing that I have to be silent about and, you know, keep to myself. And I think that it's something that has to be talked about more. And you know what? I, I looked at it as like, if I'm not going to talk about it, even how, like how difficult it is like to talk about, if I'm not going to talk about it and try and help other people, then like, who is. Yeah. And That's like, such a great it's viewpoint. not, Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's not enjoyable to sit in front of our men's lacrosse team of of 60 something people on a zoom and talk about like the dark details of how Mm -hmm. I was assaulted and how I was raped by my boyfriend as a 15 year old, because most of them probably are looking at me like I have three heads and they're like, why the fuck is this girl here? But I know that for at least some people, it'll mean something to them because statistics show that we all, everyone knows someone that's been affected by it is someone that's been affected by it. Like your sister, your friend, your girlfriend, your mother, like family members, like there is someone that, you know, that's been affected by it. And people, I think what people need to understand is that it's a personal thing. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to sit here and listen and it could never happen to me. So why would I care? And I think you have to make something like this personal for people to get them to understand.
0: I agree with everything. Like that last sentence, you have to make it personal for people to like actually get it. Like, sadly, that is the truth. Like you can't just like do basic stuff, like until you hit on their like emotions, like that's when it really starts to get to them. And I think exactly. Yeah. And if you spoke to like a thousand people and one person like got something good out of it or felt better after you talking, like you you did, you It's all about that one person. And yeah, even if like,
1: and that's how I felt about my article too. Like, even if just one person read it and, you know, felt less shame or felt like they were going to be okay or connected to it or knew someone that they could show that could connect to it, et cetera, et cetera, anything like that, Mm -hmm. then it was worth it. Even just one person. And because I wish so badly that I had something that I could read like that when I was going through that and to know that like it was okay and that I could talk about it and that I wasn't wrong and it wasn't my fault. And I think that's what was the most important thing to me coming from my article and wanting to be this involved in something like this.
0: Yeah. And I think your involvement and your passion, like you are making a difference and like, it's just, it's just so incredible. Like what you are doing and like what position you are in today. Like it's honestly inspiring. Like I'm inspired, like, I'm also so proud of you. I met you like an hour ago and I'm just like, so proud of you. (laughs) Like, you're just like awesome. And this like great energy and just are doing really big things in the world. And I just love it. Um, so last little topic is you talked about in your article, like you are like a victim of sexual and gender-based violence, but you, that's not who you are. Like And I just think that's so such an incredible and powerful message. So I kind of just want to get into like, who are you like Molly? Like who is Molly? Like, what do you stand for? Like you're obviously a great lacrosse player, but there's like a lot more to you than just what you've been through. And like, what do you stand for? What are your morals? Like type of thing like that. I know that's like a heavy loaded question. There's a lot broad, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) yeah. no, it definitely
1: is a loaded question, but um I mean, I think what I went through did help shape me in the fact that, or in the sense that, you know, I am someone that has, I've always been a very passionate person. I've always, you know, like spoke up for things that I believed in. I felt passionately about, and I think going through this and, you know, dealing with this trauma has helped me want to do that even more. I'm someone that um, I was a poli-sci major, so I am very, you know, politically educated and, um, you know, ethics are super important to me and equal rights, equal, equal opportunity, um, et cetera, et cetera. Those things are something that I speak about, something that I feel strongly, very strongly about. I am planning on going to law school. Oh um, gosh, wow. so, <laughs> That's so, incredible. Um, yeah. Um, my like passion for wanting to help people, which is something that has been very, very important to me my entire life. And then dealing with the trauma that I have gone through has, um, inspired me to want to go to law school and I want to represent victims. I want to help change laws and title IX policy. I, I want to, I want to change the world. Um, that's a big thing to say, but, um, I want to help women and, sexual assaults and gender violence victims. And um, just that's what's most important to me. And uh, just helping people that can't help themselves or aren't able to help themselves. And um, yeah, I just want to leave the world a better place than I found it. And lacrosse has given me that confidence and given me the platform to be able to, you know, start doing this. And just because I'm graduating doesn't mean I'm not going to be involved in, you know, trying to speak up and trying to help change universities and their policies. And, um, I hope that I can, um, impact it more as I get older and, um, really affect and help the next generation of people that are going to have to deal with things like that. And I hope that, you know, one day, the children that I have, or, you know, my children's children don't have to experience sexual and gender-based violences at the rate that I had to, and that like our generation has to.
0: Molly, that answer literally just like put me like in every emotion possible, like all the good ones, like, oh my God, like you are like an angel sent, like this is (laughs) incredible, like, I feel like now I'm going to go out there. Like, I feel like I'm going to get off the zoom and like go and change the world. I'm I need to be like Molly today, like (laughs) way bigger than myself, but wow. Like I, that is so incredible. And like, you are an inspiration. You said you want to change the world. Like girl, I believe you already are doing that. Like you, like you've already changed my world and (laughs) so many, so much knowledge and such a good perspective on things that like, you are going to do it. And I'm going to be like your biggest fan and rooting for you every single step of the way. And I'm just, I said it before, but like, I'm just so proud of you. And like, you've inspired me and you're going to touch so many people's lives out there. And like, you already have, and it's just, you're amazing.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me is that, you know, like, yes, it is my story, but it is so much bigger than me. Um, so many people are affected and, you know, it's, it goes way beyond my story and just the person that I am. And, I think that's, what's like one of the biggest driving forces for me is, you know, being able to help others and the giant community of people that are survivors and we're not victims, we're survivors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's just incredible. Um, If someone who is listening right now, like maybe going through something similar or doesn't, is in a situation where maybe they've been through um, something that you've been through, or they are still in the moment of processing or, they don't know how to speak up. And it's just the only person that knows is maybe them. What would you say to them? If you, um,
1: I would say to, it doesn't have to be a professional, but find someone that you are close with, that you trust, that is someone that understands you, you know, on much deeper levels and to try and talk about it. And it doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to sit down with them. And the first time you, you try and talk about it, it's everything and what's going on all the nitty-gritty details but um I wish so badly that I was able to talk about what happened to me and I was able to you know start dealing it dealing with it way sooner because when I didn't it got worse and um I think my biggest piece of advice is to find someone that you trust and find someone that and it doesn't have to be a parent it doesn't have to you know like a friend you know I'm a resource I have always said since I started this process that, you know, even if I don't know you, I am someone that is unbiased, that is not going to judge you. That's been through the same thing um, or something similar. Um, just trying to talk about it and making that first step of being like, not even just saying like, I've been assaulted. Like it took me months, years to say I was raped, just saying I'm not okay or I need help or I need someone that can just sit and hold my hand or I need a hug. Mm-hmm. Like, Anything like that, taking that first little baby step and, you know, finding someone that you can trust is my biggest piece of advice and really trying to start talking about it is what's going to help you the most. It's going to be the hardest thing in the world to do, but at the end of the day, it will help you way more.
0: Yeah. Wow. I like knew you wrote based on like reading your article and I was like okay this is gonna be like a really good episode like Molly's gonna do you exceeded my expectations like I already had high expectations because you're a great writer and all that stuff but I, you like really exceeded it like you g- have given me so much wisdom in like what the hour that we've been talking and like I know people out there like if you guys are listening like I know you gained something good from this conversation and I just hope if you have been going through something similar, like do like listen to Molly and like listen to what she stands for and listen to her advice because she is like proof that things can get better. And like, there are just like things to do about it. And like, you have the power in yourself to do it. Like you can do anything Mm -hmm. you put your mind to. And, and like, I feel like I just met Molly, but like, I feel like she's my friend. So if you guys really do need um, someone to talk to like talk to Molly, like she's awesome. Like, um, but yeah, yeah, like, molly thank you so much for coming on like i feel so lucky to just like even just talk to you like that i I feel like i'm filled with emotions right now but oh thank you so much for coming on
1: yeah no thank you and um yeah my last thing i have i would say is that you're never alone no one is there's always someone and you know find your person find that person and um you never have to go through something traumatic alone and
0: um it's way healthier to not do that. So <laughs> totally. Yeah. You guys are never alone. And I just really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and like share it because this episode, Molly was so well, oh she was so well-spoken, just shared great wisdom. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you.